Hello Humans! I just lost my headset saying that. How are you, everyone? Welcome to Ellie 2.0 Radio. And now, <laughs> including at its new time slot of 4 p.m. Central Standard Time on Saturdays, as part of a block of LGBTQ plus focus shows, I think it's a great concept. And I'm thrilled that this show is part of that wonderful block. Still trying to come up with a name for it, but stay tuned. Okay, as you know, what makes LD 2.0 Radio um, uh, unique (laughs) is that it's about idealism and idealists and people working to change the world for the better. Also making this show a little unique um, is moi, yours truly. Because I am one of the relatively few transgender radio hosts in the entire world. So there you go. That and $3.58 will get you a cup of hot chocolate at Caribou. Um, Okay. Now, for today's show, we have a great, great interview with someone who is as idealistic to his core. I mean, this man will go out talking about change and how the system is rigged. I'm talking about Pastor Dean Seal of Shepherd of the Hill Presbyterian Church in Chaska, Minnesota. Uh, We had Pastor Dean on a couple years ago, uh, but he is set to retire at the end of this month, and I wanted him back to talk about his incredible career and accomplishments. You will like, he's a very, very, very interesting human. And in the C block, I'll talk about my work as an idealist, which of course I always do. But here in the A block, Where we are right now, as we always do, our featured idealist of the week comes to us from that incredible initiative, Americans Who Tell the Truth. So they've got a lot of idealists on their website, and and I've been grabbing some people off their website. And we actually highlighted Americans Who Tell the Truth several months ago. We had the uh, curator, uh, the originator of that project on the show. Um, A recent addition to the list of Americans Who Tell the Truth is a 23-year-old black woman named Diana Byrant. Um, And I am pretty sure uh, that you've never heard of Diana Bryant, but I can assure you that everyone listening, I mean this, everyone listening to my voice is very well aware of Diana Bryant's idealism and idealistic act that she committed uh, that has um, had a huge impact on contemporary American history. Here's the story. In the spring of 2016, Zyanna Bryant was a high school student in Charlottesville, Virginia. She'd always lived in the Charlottesville area, and as such, she was aware of the statue of Robert E. Lee on his horse uh, that was prominent in a city park that was also named for Lee, Lee Park. And as she recounted to Vice News, um, she was in the fifth or sixth grade when she started to learn the truth about slavery and the Civil War. Thank God, you know, I don't know if they're still teaching that, you know, in Virginia right now, okay? But she learned about it in the fifth or sixth grade, and it was at that point she be- when she st- saw the Robert E. Lee statue in her hometown, it started to make her, to use her words, disgusted. Well, we all know this, right? Okay. Seeing tributes to enslavers and to those who wanted to destroy the United States to uh, preserve slavery is indeed 
disgusting. It is. A few years later, Zayanna Bryant was a high school freshman. And in a class, she was given an assignment of, quote, how to make a change, unquote. It was at that point when she was 15 years old. I'll say that again. When she was 15 years old, Zayanna Bryant came up with the idea to remove the Robert E. Lee statute and rename it uh, and rename Lee, uh, Lee City Park. What she did was <clears throat> she created a petition for the statute removal and the renaming of the park. Her petition attacked, a, attracted great attention. And ultimately, now remember, she was 15 years old. Ultimately, the Charlottesville City Council created a commission on whether to remu- remove the statute. There was also another statute in Charlottesville of, um, of uh, Jackson, Stonewall Jackson on his horse, They were going to address that statute as well, okay? When the commission voted to remove the statute in 2017, that triggered the backlash that in May of 2017 had the hordes, and that's the right phrase, of white supremacists descending on Charlottesville, as you may recall. Now it's all coming into focus, right? Okay? That's the same horde that President Donald Trump, then President Donald Trump, referred to as, quote-unquote, fine people. Um, It was called the Unite the Right rally and had white supremacists carrying the tiki torches. You remember that image? It is burned into my memory. It is one of the worst images of contemporary America that I can think of. The images were horrible and something that made most Americans sick to their stomachs, that disgusted them. There's that word again. You may also recall... Uh, that uh, there were counter-protests to the Tiki Torches, and that later that summer, in August, during another Unite the Right rally, there was a clash that broke out between the neo-Nazis, okay, the supporters of white supremacy, and and humans who reject all of that, which I'm going to trust is going to be probably every listener to the show and podcast as I speak. <clears throat> Well, the clashes broke out, and you remember that on August 12th of 2017, a car driven by a neo-Nazi rammed into the crowd of counter-protesters and killed Heather Heyer. You remember that? Okay. And it, she was 32 years old at the time. She was an idealist. That is for sure. The car also injured another 35 people, five of them in critical condition. After that attack the city council proceeded with its plans to remove the Robert E. Lee statute and, and the one of Stonewall Jackson. There was great wrangling with lawsuits and the Virginia legislature passing laws and all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, ultimately, Lee Park was renamed Market Street Park. And then in October of 2023, both of those statutes of Robert E. Lee and of Stonewall Jackson were taken to an undisclosed foundry and melted down into blocks of metal. It so pleases me to be able to say that. Blocks of metal. All of this began with a petition by a high school student named Zayanna Bryant. Wow. 
As a result of her work as an idealist, Diana received awards from Princeton and Yale universities. When she was 19, she published a book titled Reclaim, Colon, a Collection of Poetry and Essays. She's also been interviewed on CNN and, and by the New York Times and other leading you know, um, media outlets. Uh, the last report that I have is that Diana is a student at the University of Virginia. It's a name that you will not – I mean – She'll be back, okay? There'll be other things that she's going to do in this world. And I want to share with you some of her words. Uh, these were, were, this was part of an interview that she gave um, that's reported in Americans Who Tell the Truth, but it was an interview uh, that she gave to the nonprofit Teaching Tolerance. And this is what she said. Quote, If we don't have people who are standing their ground and continuing to seek truth in this fight for justice— then people like me who are young, black, and female will continue to be marginalized in their own efforts. Another part of making the world better is acknowledging our past. Before we can heal as a community and as a nation, we must truly reckon with our past and call out white supremacy in all its forms. What I just read to you was from a young, 20-something black woman in Virginia whose courage in promoting a petition to remove two statutes of enslavers and people who tore this country apart one way or another, you know, quite idealistic. Now, I'm recalling, and you may remember, I've talked about this on the show before. I'm on the school board for my local school district, the Eastern Carver County Schools. For a long time, our schools graduated high school students at an evangelical church that was intolerant of LGBTQ people, intolerant of Black Lives Matter, and intolerant of people who are divorced. We're no longer doing that. We're no longer graduating there. Um, this June, we'll be graduating. We have two high schools, both high schools, Chanhassen and Chaska, at, at uh, Target Center, where the Wolves play. The reason for that change, the reason why we move from Grace, um, that evangelical church, to Target Center, is because of a sophomore, high school sophomore's petition presented to my school board. His name was Eli Frost, is Eli Frost. I've had him on my show to compliment him for his courage. So as you sit back and think about the world today, and you think about all of the adults who are not acting like adults at all, will you remember that it is our young people who very well are idealistic young people who very well are changing the world. Okay, there you have it. Okay, that's our featured idealist for this week. Check out Zyana Bryant and uh, read up on her. She's got her own website. She goes and does speaking. I mean, it's kind of like rock starish. 
And so, all right, when we come back, we're going to do the big interview with Pastor Dean Seal from Shepherd of the Hill Church in Chaska, Minnesota. You're going to love his interview. Thanks for listening to me, Ellie Krug. If you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. We'll be back in a second. We're back. LE 2.0 Radio. Um, so check out Zayana Bryant, okay? Because um, uh, for a young person, uh, she has absolutely rocked the world. And now for the big interview, I've got somebody else who's rocked the world. Um, I have with me uh, uh, Pastor Dean Seal, who is the retiring pastor from Shepherd of the Hill uh, Presbyterian Church in Chaska. Pastor Dean, welcome. Welcome back to LE 2.0. We had you on the show about two years ago. I am thrilled that you are here and that you're back, and congratulations on retirement. Thank you very much. It's always a pleasure to spend time with you, Ellie. Oh, and ditto. Ditto back. So, Pastor Dean, um, why don't we uh, give the audience a little bit about your background? Because you got into the ministry in a— fairly unique way, at a fairly unique age. And uh, so why don't you start out where, you know, how'd you get started in in terms of some of your other endeavors, and then what got you into the ministry? And then we'll talk about much, uh, all that you've accomplished since you've been out in Chaska. Sure. I'm, uh, it's not that unusual to come into the ministry later in life. There's a lot of second career people, Ah. people who have done other stuff and then decided, you know what, I need to do something uh, that's a little more serious. Uh, I used to be in showbiz. Uh, I was in a a comedy act called Mr. Elk and Mr. Seal. Uh, Some of our claims to fame are we sang La Bamba in Japanese, which which got on America's Funniest Videos and and was actually rebroadcast in Australia. Uh, We sang on the Prairie Home Companion. Uh, we did a pilot for HBO, which we shot at Paisley Park, which was a big fat bomb. And uh, then uh, I just then uh, uh, I decided I didn't want to go into TV anymore, and uh, went into a theater locally where I ran the Brian Lake Bowl Cabaret Theater. My big discovery there was Miss Richfield, 1981, and then uh, I ran the Fringe Festival for uh, about four years. And when I took it over, attendance was 4,400, and when I left, it was 28,000. And it's now the largest unjuried festival in the United States. But while I was doing that, uh, there was just a point in time where um, I did not uh, want to... Uh, I, I kind of... I was a fan of Dr. King, and I was not a fan of the church, because the church has a lot of problems, uh, especially the Catholic Church. I grew up yeah. Lutheran. And the first thing you learn as a Lutheran is we're not Catholic. <laughs> there you uh, go. <laughs> but uh, the the problems of the church, uh, you know, there's the there's the pedophile scandals with the Catholic Church. Yeah. There's the fact that Catholics and a lot of uh, uh, evangelical churches don't ordain women. And uh, uh, but uh, there's still Dr. King, and I said, okay, that's what it looks like uh, when it works. And I had, a, I had a, 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 a guy who married my mom's cousin who was a, a, a 
Lutheran pastor, he said, if you want to know what an Old Testament prophet looks like, look to Dr. King. And what prophet means there is it's not a, a magic thing where they predict the future. It's someone who calls out a nation to live up to its own highest standards. And they speak truth to power. And, you know, eventually they probably get killed if they're any good at it. <laughs> so uh, at a certain point, uh, uh, theater uh, was what I was doing. But... Uh, I went to the seminary, a United Seminary, United Theological Seminary, <clears throat> excuse me, which is in St. Paul, for a, a degree in theology and the arts. And there's, you know, a at church. What, at what age? At what age did you do that? It was twenty years ago when I graduated, so I was forty-eight. Okay, all right. Well, I was I was forty forty-five when I started. Okay, uh, and uh, uh, there's. A, theater, a, a church service is a theatrical experience, and both theater and a church service are events that you create that you hope will carry meaning. Mm. And both of them use storytelling, and you know, music is like the original form of spiritual expression. So, <clears throat> excuse me, there's a lot of crossover between what I was doing and what uh, the tools that were available for uh, trying to create meaning uh, moving forward. And uh, 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 there were, you know, a couple of times when, like, I'd go to a funeral and I'd go, God, I could do a better job than this guy. <laughs> <clears throat> and uh, also very many sermons where I go, oh, man, uh, you know, it's like, it's like Louis Anderson at an open stage. He just said, I'm funnier than this guy. And his buddy said, well, why don't you go up there? And he went up there and he was funnier than that guy. <laughs> so... Uh, I first got into it doing uh, uh, interfaith work. You know, Dr. King was an interfaith guy. He was a fan of Gandhi. He was a Hindu. He was. And Gandhi was an interfaith guy. He was a fan of Jesus. He said that the Sermon on the Mount was the best piece of spiritual writing he'd ever seen. Uh, and the, the, the cool thing there is, <clears throat> excuse me, every religion says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But only Jesus said, love your enemy. Okay. And love your enemy is really hard. It's really hard. And so when Dr. King said, we must love the racist, I went, okay, I know where you get that, but how do you get there? How do you get to that? And he said, we must love the racist because racism is bad for them. Okay. So I went, okay, here's a really, really, really hard thing. And that's what I'm going to set myself up to do is see how I can possibly love my enemy and move forward with that as the, you know, the working uh, uh, principle. Okay. And, and so you go to, the, you go to the seminary and yeah. then um, did you get, you, uh, did, did, when was it that you came out to a shepherd of the hill in Chaska? It took a while. I got a master of uh, theology and the arts. And then I stayed on for another year and got a master of divinity. Uh, then uh, for two years, I did interfaith work with a thing called Spirit in the House, a nonprofit I started, where I did uh, uh, kind of a replica of the fringe, only it was all spiritual performance. And it was, you know, Hindu and Buddhist, and, and we had uh, some uh, uh, not, not vegan, what's, what's, what's like Celtic spirituality stuff. Okay. We had a, we had a, an event where we had Jewish and Muslim museum uh, musicians 
who were from Iran, and they were playing Iranian music that was both Muslim and Jewish. <laughs> uh, it was really cool stuff. Yeah, it sounds great. Great imagination, and, too. Yeah, and there were art exhibits. Like, there's this art exhibit of, uh, of the Forgiveness Project. Yep. Forgiveness is an interfaith concept. It's something, that's how you can start yep. any conversation. You say, okay, what is your? what do you people say about forgiveness? So there's like an art exhibit where they have like the... Uh, the daughter of a of a British politician who was uh, murdered by the IRA, and the guy from the IRA who murdered him, and they would have a conversations about how does forgiveness work. Yep. Uh, yeah, I've I've actually uh, highlighted the forgiveness project before on LE Two Point oh, really? Radio. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's really cool. It is. And and uh, so we would do an art exhibit with the forgiveness project stuff and a play about forgiveness, and uh, uh, there was like an art installation. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, this guy named Doug P- Doug Padilla uh, took uh, a bunch of small trees and, and dead trees and painted them white, and took a coffee can and painted it white and put in white stones. And then he'd stick the trees in this coffee can. Instructions on the podium said, "Tie either a white thread or a golden thread onto one of the trees as an act of forgiveness." And so this was an installation that was there for two weeks and just in Concordia College in St. Paul. And at the end of the two weeks, there were hundreds of threads mm. tied to the trees. Oh. So it was an interactive art exhibit about forgiveness. And it was really cool. So, uh, so you've got all of this going on informing yeah. your work as a pastor. Yes? Well, yeah, I was ordained to interfaith work. Okay. Uh, Normally in the Presbyterian Church, you're ordained into a church, but there's a thing called a specialized mission. It could be like a food shelf or a, a mission to immigrants or something. Mine was an interfaith mission. And after two years, uh, I, I couldn't uh, uh, figure out how to make a living at it. I didn't, I didn't know how to raise money. So uh, I started teaching at Augsburg College uh, part-time as an adjunct, um, and I taught religion. And uh, then uh, I also did, uh, my wife and my kid and I would teach uh, a movie camp with kids. We'd make a movie out of a parable. Uh, and my wife would teach them improv classes and stuff like that. And some of them was with uh, uh, young kids from the St. Joseph's Home for Children, which was a yep. locked ward. Yep. And so we would do uh, uh, movie camps with those guys. And they would, they'd make a movie in a week. Uh, and uh, there was some very special moments like that uh, with the kids having a, a kind of an experience about uh, self-worth and self-value. Yeah. Very important. Yeah, and then uh, eventually uh, I was uh, told that uh, Shepherd of the Hill was looking for a pastor and they hadn't found anybody yet and that I should apply. And I said, okay. So I, I applied, I was interviewed, and they hired me part-time. It's a part-time job. It's a small church. So I worked at Augsburg part-time, and I worked at Shepherd of the Hill part-time. What year was this that you started out at Shepherd of the Hill? Nine years ago. Okay. All right. And, and so, and, but, but you at Shepherd of the Hill, I mean, I think our audience members need to know that, I mean, the church is located on the corner of— uh, of Highway 41 in Engler, it yeah. ha- it has a huge red chair, wooden chair in yep. in the front lawn, and it has three flags, if I remember, 
Yep. Uh, you've got the U.S. flag. You've you, okay. What fl- uh, you've got? Is, I know. I know you have the LGBTQ flag there. So we have the we have the uh, LGBTQ flag updated to have a transgender triangle on it, and the Black Lives Matter flag That's and the Presby- Presbyterian Church USA. Okay. Okay. Now the Presbyterian Church USA ordains gay people and marries gay people and ordains women. So we're a progressive congregation. We're a progressive denomination. And we're small. There's only a million and a half uh, PCUSA uh, members in the United States. But uh, other other denominations uh, will ordain women and gay people and marry them, like the ELCA Lutherans, the Episcopal Church, the Moravian Church, yep. and these and the UCC. These are our allies in uh, uh, Chaska. So the four of us, uh, the denominations, do stuff together, and uh, I've really enjoyed doing that with them. But most of the churches, uh, you, you know, it's kind of a, a, a litmus test. If they don't ordain women, then, you know, what are you doing there? Right? Because <laughs> right. they don't treat women as, as equal citizens. They don't think women are as spiritual as men. They don't think women are as smart as men. I disagree. <laughs> well, and, and in Chaska, at Shepherd of the Hill, I mean, you yeah. made it an instrument of social change. Can you t- well, talk to us about what you did, or maybe they were continuing? You know, those programs were there, but I know that you've done more to to beef things up and to strengthen them. So, could you talk about what you were doing from like a social justice, social change standpoint at Shepherd of the Hill? Well, the cool thing is, is that they were that way when they were that way when I got there. Uh, they had a, a big investment in a thing called Families Moving Forward, which was organized by about. Uh, like a dozen churches and it grew to about 30 churches where they would take homeless families and let them sleep in the church for a week. And the congregation would feed them and, uh, uh, you know, help them get uh, their lives organized. Uh, And then they moved to another church and another church. Uh, And uh, that was in place. And I thought this is really cool because homelessness is a national crisis. Yep. uh, And we have to raise people's, uh, uh, I, uh, uh, ideas about, you know, this is a problem that can be solved. If the United States spent $20 a year on new house, we have homeless people. Right. But we don't care enough about them. And, you know, we were working with homeless children. I know. And and you've worked in the school district. That's one of the cool things about Chaska is that they hired you. <laughs> uh, and, and so, you know, these kids don't deserve to be homeless. They, right. they don't deserve to be sleeping in their cars. So uh, uh, that was something that was there. And I said, okay, I'm in the right place. This is a, a progressive church that wants to do stuff. Okay. And they were a gay minister, but they couldn't find one. So they hired me instead. I'm a, getting a queer ally. Uh, I've done that in the theater and in, in the Bryant Lake Bowl, which was run by lesbians, and in the Fringe, which uh, encouraged uh, gay performing groups to apply and, you know, yep. get out there and do stuff. Yep, yep. So, all right, so... Uh, you know, but and and Chaska, we should say, is you know, a, a, it's kind of a a blue island in what would be considered a a, a red county, a Carver yes. County that went for Trump by six in the twenty twenty election. Yeah. Um, but but Chaska did not. Chaska went with uh, I I don't know what they did in twenty twenty, but I know they voted for Obama. Uh, the first time he ran, and that was the first time they'd uh, uh, not voted for a Republican since Lincoln. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, you know, and the community as a whole is, is you know, pretty diverse for greater Minnesota. I mean, it, it's, yeah. you know, it's got uh, 20, I think it's 23% identify not as, as of white of the skin color. And yeah. You know, <coughs> One of the things me. our church does is it hosts a, a <coughs> Seventh-day Adventist congregation which is uh, Central American refugee families. And they've just got a burst of uh, new uh, membership from uh, Venezuelan immigrants. So, uh, and they're a Spanish-speaking congregation, and, and uh, we do something to host them. Oh, there's one thing I forgot to tell you. Uh, one thing I did bring in was an art gallery. You did. Uh, and uh, the art gallery is, does about four or five shows a year. And for most of the last five years, every year at Christmas, I would do an interfaith art show. We would show art that was uh, Muslim and Christian and Buddhist and Jewish uh, and uh, Native American, uh, but it was had to be spiritual in content. So we would do an interfaith art show, and that that was a nice piece of uh, uh, progressive innovation. Well, and you your current art show is by a, an artist, and I'm forgetting his name, um, but he's got. A great eye and great work, and in fact, yeah. I, I bought one of his paintings. Um, Thank you very much. You know, you're, and you're smart to do so. It's good stuff. Yeah, it is really great stuff. And paintings hanging in my entryway right now. First thing people great. see when they come into my house. Um, so, but but I but I think it's great. You're, I mean, what you you've got this venue that is multidisciplined in a variety of ways, yeah. um, with a mission, all geared. I. I, as soon as you walk into the church, it's it's so very clear. I mean, you know, I go into a lot of, you know, places of worship, but your church, the Shepherd shepherd of the Hill in particular, as soon as you walk in, you know that this is a mission-oriented, change-focused, social justice um, place. And I, you know, and I, I, I just want to compliment you for that. I'm glad you get that impression. And also, uh, we host uh, six Narcotics Anonymous meetings. I know you do. Uh, and we got them because uh, uh, during the COVID sh- shutdown, we had one meeting. Uh, and after two weeks, they called and said, you know, we need to meet. And we'd rather die of COVID than die from uh, killing ourselves with narcotics. And I said, that makes perfect sense. Go ahead and meet. <laughs> and then uh, five other meetings said, you know, our churches won't let us meet. Can we meet at your church? And I said, yeah. Well, those are people who are saving themselves and saving each other. And that's, again, that's what the building should be used for. So, Pastor Dean, <clears throat> you know, you and I have had a number of conversations about idealism and, and about our, you know, our respective heroes. And we share Dr. King for sure. And you know how yeah. I feel about Bobby Kennedy. And what could you explain to our audience? What is it that made you, you know, idealistic? As somebody interested in trying to make the world better? Uh, I'm uh, the fifth of five boys. And uh, my third brother is named Gary Seal. He's an artist. He died a few years ago. But uh, he was born developmentally disabled. And uh, when you have that as part of your growing up experience, you understand that some people don't get to choose how much uh, talent or skills that they have when they go out into the world. Now, the state of Minnesota is very progressive, and uh, my brother was made a ward of the state, and there's an infrastructure to support him, uh, housing and, and, and food and care and medical care, uh, because he, uh, there was no way he would do it 
and uh, the, uh, he would be able to do it. He was a vulnerable adult. He could remember people's names, but uh, and he could read, but he couldn't remember anything he read. Uh, and he was actually a gifted artist. He spent about 14 years being an artist with the, the uh, Interact Center for yep. uh, Visual and Performing Arts. Uh, he had a, a self-portrait in the Smithsonian. Oh, my goodness. Uh, and he's, he has a piece in a book called Visual Theology as an outsider artist. But uh, I understand, you know, it was uh, Hubert Humphrey uh, who had a, a, a granddaughter who had Down syndrome. And actually, my brother was a friend with who uh, kind of installed in the Minnesota system. We're going to take care of these people. We're not going to kick them to the curb and let them die which is what the Republicans would like you to do. There's anybody who's, anybody who's, who's, who's not fit, uh, too bad for them, right? Right. So, so uh, there's the, the public role in lifting people up. And also my mother was a, a teacher. She taught uh, junior high. And, and uh, for my father, who grew up on a farm, getting going to college was his way to lift himself up and uh, get off the farm and uh, get into a white collar job where he could raise a family in the suburbs and put his kids through college. Uh, and so this idea of, of public education is instilled in us as a means of by which people can learn and grow and improve their lives. So what we're seeing now is an attack on public education. We're seeing an attack on uh, infrastructure for people who are helpless. We're seeing an attack on providing affordable housing. And I have a theory, I haven't done the math on this, but I think banks benefit heavily from homelessness because uh, the uh, if there's a housing shortage, prices go up, mortgage prices, mortgages go up, yeah. and interest income from mortgages goes up. So if there was a plentiful housing, banks would be less profitable. And that's why I think we have a, a, a homeless problem. Okay, okay. Well, listen, Pastor Dean, our time is up, and I just want to say congratulations on retirement. Thank you. You know, I wish you the very best. Likewise. And, and I hope that uh, you and I stay in touch, okay? I hope so, too. Keep up the good work, Ali. We need people like you pushing every week on the airwaves to make sure that, that vo- these voices are heard. I appreciate that. I really do. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thanks a lot, Pastor Dean. It was great to talk with you here. All right, uh, audience, when we get back, we're going to go to my C block where I'm going to talk about my work as an idealist. Uh, You know, Pastor Dean Seal of the Shepherd of the Hill, we wish you the very best on the next part of your adventure. Everyone, you're listening to me, Ellie Krug on Ellie 2.0 Radio. When we come back, the C block. We're back. Ellie 2.0 Radio. Ah, you know, Pastor Dean. You know, just incredible. Just, I I adore that man. I really do. And uh, I'm going to miss him. I am. I'm going to miss him from Chaska because, you know, I could just, like, drop in and see him. Um, and he does not, he lives uh, in Minneapolis, so that's not going to happen, but I'll stay in touch with him. You can be sure of that. All right, my C block where I talk about my work, which unfortunately I do, 
what is this, January 11th? Um, let's see. I've given an interview. I've given a podcast interview, but that won't air till March. And I have no speaking engagements until uh, I'm talking to a, a law firm at the end of the month uh, online. That's it. Okay. But I've been using the time to write on my book, as I, as I talked about last time. Um, I'm up to uh, 90,000 words, relatively – some of them are great words. Some of them are not so great, but it, we're getting there. What I want to talk about is what's going on right now in the country as it relates to trans people. You know you get that from me and, and bear with me, OK? Uh, and that's because uh, my community doesn't have many platforms to get the word out. Now, you remember I had Erin Reed. She's a, a transgender blogger and columnist and, and she does a, just the best job of keeping track of what's going on in our country politically as it relates to trans people. Um, and here's what she reports, a couple of things. First of all, she reports that this time last year in 2023, there are about 50 bills introduced because January 1 happens and then boom, the legislative, legislative season begins all across the country, okay? <clears throat> and, and even though uh, maybe the legislatures aren't meeting, they can still – they can start introducing a piece of legislation. This time last year, there were 50 anti-transgender bills introduced across the country in various legislatures. This time last year. Now, uh, I'm talking to you on January 11th, okay, for a show that will air on the um, – I guess I'm talking to you on the 12th for a show that air on the 13th. Keep track, Ellie. This year, right now, number of trans, anti-trans bills introduced in state legislatures, nearly 200. And the bills are becoming far more draconian, far more. So, for example, um, in uh, West Virginia, okay, um, just this week, number of bills introduced against transgender people. One of those bills um, would, you know, is the Cure Trans bill. It will, if, if enacted in West Virginia... It would require that therapists and social workers and anybody else who's got a license, who's working with transgender youth and kids uh, under age 21, okay? So forget about the 18 age majority. This is under age 21. It would require that those therapists and social workers not, you know, affirm these humans who are trying to make their way and figure out their identities and then live as who they truly are. It would require that it would require therapists and social workers and other licensed professionals to actually work to cure. That's the word. It's in the statute, the proposed statute, to cure youth and young people of being transgender, to cure them. In other words, to drive it, drive it out of them. Okay? I mean, you know, it, that's called conversion therapy. It, is, it doesn't work. And it is incredibly harmful to anybody who undergoes conversion therapy. It is. And so, but now West Virginia wants anybody who professionally interacts with uh, trans kids and youth to, to work to make them not transgender. I'm, I'm just here to tell you, it's not a choice, okay? Read my book, okay? It's not a choice. I thought I could choose to stay a man. I'm here to tell you, it's not a choice, some people would just get wired the way we are. All right, so that's West Virginia. In Ohio, <laughs> so Ohio was faced with um, 
uh, legislation that Ohio House and Senate passed a, a bill to ban gender-affirming care um, for anyone under the age of 18 in Ohio. And, um, and Governor uh, Mike DeWine <laughs> met with some transgender families and, and just said, I can't, I can't take the decision away from the families about how they're going to, you know, support and love their transgender child as it relates to, gen- you know, gender affirming care and then puberty blockers so their trans girls don't get this voice that you're listening to right now. He said, I- I'm not going to take that away from them. And he vetoed the bill. Um, uh, just uh, this week, uh, on Wednesday of this week, the, uh, the House, the Ohio House overrode um, that veto. And the Ohio House on the excuse me the Ohio Senate on the twenty fourth um, is going to vote, and they they say they'll have enough votes to override the veto, and that'll make Ohio the twenty third state, the twenty third state to ban gender affirming care for uh, youth and and minors, okay, and children. All right, yeah, all right. But Dewine wanted to kind of placate, you know, his legislature. So even though he banned, you know, he vetoed the bill about gender affirming care, he had his administration draft up some administrative rules for the treatment of transgender humans, all transgender humans in Ohio. So this is not just about kids. This is for everybody who go. If I lived in Ohio, these rules would apply. And what uh, the rules provide for is this, is that – uh, any clinic that provides care to any transgender person, okay, any clinic, all right? So whether it's, you know, a small clinic, whether it's part of a hospital, whether whatever it is, that they need to have a psychiatrist, an endocrinologist, and a bioethicist on staff. They need to have those three professionals on staff. Those three professionals um, – need to then follow the transgender person. They need to do monthly reports. I think the reports get forwarded to the state. I mean, it is as, you know, can you imagine that you have diabetes, all right, and Aaron Reed made this argument that you have diabetes, and the state says the only way that you can get diabetic medicine and treatment is if you see a specialist on diabetes And by the way, there are only five of those specialists in the whole state, okay? Can you imagine the back – I mean, people are like – it's a – you know, it's eight months for you to get an appointment to go see, you know, this specialist. And in the meantime, what do you do? You die because you can't get insulin. You can't get your prescriptions. This is what they're trying to do with these administrative rules in Ohio. It is unbelievable, okay? You know, it is erasure. Of transgender people, and it's going to result in more suicides. It's going to, but now there are going to be other states that are going to follow it because the Republicans are copycats. One state does something, then they all start to do it. All right. If I sound disgusted, I am. There you go. All right. A big thanks to my producer, Brett Johnson. Brett's had to do a little bit of math today for a change. <laughs> for a change. And you, my listeners, I hope that you're enjoying the, you know, this block of LGBTQ shows. Tell others about it, okay? Um, please continue to download my podcast because, um, you know, I, I love it when people listen to what I have to say. And feel free to reach out to me at L-E-J-Krug, E-L-L-I-E-J-K-R-U-G, at Gmail. I love hearing from my listeners. And in between now and when you hear my voice next, will you do me something? 
as a favor? Would you go out and do something to make the world better? Ellie Krug, Ellie 2.0 Radio, over and out.